how good it is to be in the house of the Lord and with God's people. I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord than not to be anywhere else in all the world. It is good to be in fellowship with one another. I know what happens in these conversations. You're sharing about your lives. You're uh, filling up your prayer lists. You're rejoicing over what God has done. You're sharing the joys of the blessings of what God has poured into your life. And it is good. It is good to be with God's people. It is healing and rewarding. So I'm a new guy. I'm Pastor John. Glad to meet you. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A little while ago, I preached my first sermon here called Total War. And uh, I don't know why, but you decided to vote for me after that. And uh, so here we are. And uh, I want to continue with that as a series. Beth and I have been working on this. We have a printout of our messages that are going to take us all the way till December. And uh, this is available for you so you know what's coming up and where to be reading. Uh, Beth and I are going to trade off every other Sunday, basically, as we work through uh, the book of Nehemiah and as we look at spiritual warfare together. And this is also for you to share with others so they can know when this is coming up and uh, what they can be learning from that. I also want to welcome those who are on the internet now listening to us uh, and available on SoundCloud. We hope that you will be with us through this whole series and uh, listen to each and every one. And we welcome you to Millerville Community Church as well. You are a part of us and we are a part of you and as you work. So use this, uh, pick these up and share them with others and encourage them to be a part of that. We've already advertised this series on uh, Facebook. Over uh, a thousand people have already been told in this area about this sermon series and have shown interest in it and are sharing it with others. So even though uh, we're a group in here, we're much larger than this group in here. Did you know that? And, and it's always true about churches. And that word goes out all over the world. Who knows what God will do with it? We believe he will do good things. I sort of need to take a moment to reintroduce uh, this series as well. Uh, because um, when I started out with this series, uh, Total War, it was a challenge to your faith. And now I'm going to be delving into it more. We're going to be picking up on a movie that was out. Some of you may have heard of it called uh, Your War Room. Has anyone seen that film or watched it? All right, fantastic. Great film, wasn't it? Loved it. It was really great. Uh, there was some real good spiritual truths found within that. And we're going to be picking up that theme today about how to engage in the battle that is to come. We call this series Total War because in a total war scenario, you need everyone involved. Uh, my father uh, was in the United States in World War II. He was a young lad in Minnesota. And the war broke out, and the United States went to total war. And that meant that the whole nation was mobilized for conflict. And that was a little difficult for my dad because he was a pacifist. So what do you do? The whole nation's mobilized and you're a pacifist. So uh, he got signed up for the U.S. Navy and to go into the Pacific. Can you believe that? He was a prairie boy, grew up in Minnesota, hardly saw a lake, let alone an ocean. And they put him on a boat and sent him out to sea. He tells me the story when he was his first ship after training, 
they put him aboard a ship, him and a bunch of uh, newbies, and uh, the captain and the guy over him didn't really want to deal with them. So they sent him down to the hold of the ship and said, see all this garbage and dust, we want you to clean that out. And they just left him and a few of these new guys down the hold of the ship, and they started cleaning out. And uh, when they got down there, it was dark, it was hot, and they were working in the bottom of the ship, and they found a lot of rubble down there, a lot of broken concrete in the bottom of the ship. So they started hauling it up and throwing it overboard. A few days out to sea, the ship started going like this. Because <laughs> that was what we call ballast. <laughs> it was holding the ship upright. So they had to turn around and go to back to dry dock. So that was my, first da- my dad's first experience at sea. <laughs> Good old prairie boy out on the ocean. He signed up for non-combative duty, and he ended up on a ship called uh, the Ajax. And his uh, duty of that ship was to repair and uh, mend ships at sea. And the Ajax would pull up beside a shot-up uh, U.S. vessel, and they had a uh, foundry on board, all the metal working and everything else, and they would repair ships right on the spot and send them right back out. They wouldn't have to go back to drive back, dock or back to uh, shore, they could be repaired at sea and sent right out. But even at that, he saw the horrors of war and what took place. My father almost died uh, in the Pacific. and It wasn't bullets or bombs. It was uh, a disease that almost killed him. He was aboard a hospital ship. A hospital ship is uh, floating on the sea, and they had a great big hold and a bunch of bunks all over the place and hammocks. And uh, a lot of guys got sick from all kinds of diseases that were in the Pacific. And uh, the uh, doctors had already written a note to his mom saying that they didn't think he would survive. He was that close to death. Doctors came around doing his rounds. Uh, He was aware of that. Uh, The doctor came by and uh, the doctor brushed his hands on my dad and touched him. And uh, after he did that and walked on by, he rallied. Suddenly he was able to get out of the bed and make it to the header they called out aboard ship. And that was a big deal because he wasn't even able to get out of his bunk. And after that, everything turned and he was restored. After the war, he went back to Anderson College where my grandfather went, uh, Bible College, and he went there to study to be a pastor at Anderson College. It's also where I graduated from, from Anderson, Indiana School of Theology with my master's degree. When my father went there, before he met my mom, there was a young man running around campus by the name of Billy Graham. Not Billy Graham. Uh, his name, Bill Gaither. <laughs> Thank you. They, they were all, young men at that age were all holding their Bibles like Billy Graham and trying to look like him and adopt a Southern Carolina accent, but... Bill Gaither was running around, and he had written a song that he was sharing with all the young people at that day. This was a contemporary of my father. And the song was, He Touched Me. My dad still tells the testimony that he really believed that God had touched him. The power of prayer and praying parents and moms is an amazing thing. I want to begin our series not to scare you about uh, war or anything like that, but to tell you that there is a power available to you that most of us have never tapped and have not reached the depths of. I know God has answered many of your prayers, and God has moved in miraculous ways, and there is still much that God wants to do. But I want to share with you how God can do so much more. 
if we'd make it a strategic weapon for the kingdom of God. Most of the time, we pull it out like a life jacket. We wait. You know, there was a tragedy in the United States, and um, a, a boat went out uh, with a whole family on board, and they went down, and everyone drowned. And uh, were there life jackets? Yes, they were available. Where were they? On dock. They weren't on the boat. The time people turn to prayer is when it's too late and they desperately need it and they go find someone who's in the habit of praying and say, pray for me, because they didn't pack a life jacket. They don't know how to pray. It's too late. When do you need a parachute? I've never needed a parachute. Well, maybe I did. I just didn't know it. When I, I have gotten on several planes, quite a few planes. They have never handed me a parachute. Does that mean my faith is really great and I can keep it in the air and all that kind of stuff? They just think nothing will ever go wrong. But planes go down, trouble happens. When do you, should you do something about forest fires before they get out of hand? When should you do something about that? After the fact? You should do it before the fact. It's the same with prayer. We need to be strategic about it to realize the power that is availed to us and what God is asking us to do in exactly that. So we're going to begin to look at this series, and what I encourage you to do is you want to know more, because we can only cover so much in the service, is pick up the book, uh, The Battle Plan for Prayer. The Battle Plan for Prayer is going to go into more details, and uh, the eldership is already reading through it, and we encourage you to do that well. There is a wealth of information that you're going to find in there. Until we become strategic in our fight with evil, using the weapons of the Spirit, we will not win against the corruption of this world. The enemy, I want to explain this real quick, and and I'm aware that I need to do this because there's a lot of confusion about uh, God, us, prayer, the enemy, and how that all works. So let me give a real quick uh, understanding why we need to be strategic. And, and it goes, I've been asked this question several times, even this last week. You know, I've only got I only started August 1st, so I haven't been here this long, right, Glenn? And I've already been asked a ton of questions, and you guys are so hungry. So I want to address some of the big uh, questions that are being asked already. And one is, well, if God is almighty, is he's in control, why do I need to pray? He already knows. You know, the scripture tells me he already knows what my issues is and what are my problems. Why do I need to tell him what my issues and my problems he already is? Why should I tell him what to do when he already knows what to do? I mean, how do you even talk to him when he knows everything, you know? Right? What's the point? He's already got something in plan before I even, why, why even bother? He's got it under control. I know what I'll do. I'll just trust him and go with that. And well, and now, but if God is in a, so much control and He is so mighty and powerful, why are so many things going wrong? Is there anything wrong in this world? Is there any evil in this world? Frank Graham just uh, wrote a story not, about uh, a couple that was traveling the world, and they were on a motorcycle, and their mission was to advertise to the rest of the world that this, that evil is an illusion. There is no evil. And they would post signs wherever they went with their motorcycle saying, evil's illusion. There is no evil. They got up around Afghanistan and unfortunately a car pulled up beside them. Several men came out, uh, shot them, stabbed them, mutilated them for posting this sign everywhere. There's no evil in the world. Yeah, there's evil in the world. Would anyone care to admit that? There's terrible things in this world. 
But there's good too, isn't there? Have you ever seen good things? Has God ever done a good thing? There's plenty of evidence for that. So if there is good and there is evil, and what did Jesus do? Did he accomplish any victory over it if nothing has really changed over 2,000 years? Yes, he did one significant thing. He died on the cross for my sins. I could be forgiven and brought into the kingdom of a child of God. I, w- I am born again. I told you how important it is to be born again so that the Holy Spirit enters you so that you have that power to overcome evil in yourself. But it also gives you authority. Authority as a child of God. If you are born again, I don't care what age you are, you have the authority of God. And rather than Jesus coming around and just utterly eliminating evil forever, which he will do one day but has not done yet, instead he left us with authority over it. But if we don't exercise authority over it, then it looks like, where's the kingdom of God? Where is the rule of Christ? It's waiting for us to take authority over it. Sandra pointed out to me that we just bought a new vacuum cleaner, a real nice one, a Dyson. It's a beautiful little thing, powerful, works very effectively. And it's sitting in our closet, still sitting there. It's a great vacuum cleaner, very powerful. Just can't wait to use it someday. Any of you treat prayer that way? Got this powerful thing, it's really great, does great things. But how often do we pull it out? And how effectively and strategically do we do that? So that's what we're dealing with today. We're looking at how to win against corruption of this world and evil. You need a war room. You absolutely need a war room. It is a place where everything can change in your life. And I'm going to describe to you why you need this war room as we go through today's message. The scripture we're looking at today is from Matthew chapter 6, and you probably know this one very well. Uh, This is the one, the passage that comes just prior to what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Anybody knows the Lord's Prayer by heart? And all of you. Even unbelievers know the Lord's Prayer by heart. You can go to anywhere in the world. They all know. But you know, the most critical part of that is what Jesus taught how to get ready to pray prayers and not just what to pray. We really focus on what to pray and not how to pray. And Jesus, in this first part in Matthew, talks about how to pray, and it's really critical. He says in in, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they already have their reward. All over the world, people are praying the Lord's Prayer, and they're praying it out loud and use them to one another. But Jesus says there is a problem with us in prayer, and it begins with our heart. He warns us, and he warns everyone about a hypocritical heart. Who's hypocritical? Apparently all of us are hypocritical. Uh, from beginning to end, all of us struggle with hypocrisy. The problem of hypocrisy is not knowing 
how to pray in the right attitude in the heart of our lives. And I'm going to explore hypocrisy with you just in a minute to explain why that gets in the way of effective prayer. There is a psychologist I just read in Psychology Today that uh, said this, always be this, never be that, one side fits all, rules are easy to remember, fun to preach, useful to wield in an argument, and impossible to follow. We're least hypocritical, the psychologist says, when we realize and admit it, and the most hypocritical when we deny it. Now, that's the view of psychologists. And the reason is, he says, it's impossible to follow any one rule fits all. Love thy neighbor is impossible. Be true to God above all things. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Impossible. He said, all these are impossible. Now, he would argue, it would be great if you could do it, but it's impossible to do it. So you should just admit you can't do it and be okay with not always being able to do it. Now, what if I gave you a diet program like that? Losing weight is a great idea. You should reduce calories. Now, it's impossible to reduce calories all the time, so it's okay to cheat one while, and if you don't quite lose weight or if you gain weight, you just need to be all right with that. And that's my diet program. That's what this guy is suggesting. Is that any way to lose weight? No. Is it a good way to make you feel good about yourself? Not really. Is it? Because I know I should be better, but I'm okay with not doing better. I'll try to be better, but I know I'll fail, but at least I'm being honest about it. And I'm okay with that. Hand me another chip. <laughs> Let's do that. That doesn't work. You need a war room. And one of the reasons you need a war room is to deal with hypocrisy in your life. You need a war room where you can shut the door on the world and leave it on the other side. You need to get locked in a room with God. I really believe that. And it's just you and God. Well, now, why should I say that? Because hypocrisy is when we're worried about what everybody else thinks. I put on these clothes today. I was worried about what you would think about what I wore today. Usually on a Sunday, I wear a nice nylon, you know, dress pants and a white shirt. And I gave up a tie about 20 years ago, but I used to, I remember the day I used to wear a full suit because that's the way I was raised. And, and then I thought, well, now if I come to this church, I better dress appropriately. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out what that is. You know, absolute hypocrisy. Because what I'm worried about is what you think not about what God thinks. I find the only time I really can get away from worrying about what everybody else thinks is if I lock myself in a room apart from everybody else and not worry about what anybody thinks. Does the scripture say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
I, you know, when I was, and all these things shall be added unto you, then all the power comes. But you've got to seek the kingdom of God first. When I first entered the ministry as a young man out of seminary, uh, I had a great stronghold in my life. I was worried about what other people thought, and my goal was to make people happy. I wanted people to like me, and that where it leads you down to a weak road of hypocrisy. Because you were basically, when you do that, you let everyone else be in charge of your life. Everyone, you know, if you said, John, I'd be really happy and pleased with you if you would mow my lawn. I'd mow your lawn. I want you to be happy and pleased with me. And if you said, John, I am so unhappy with you, I'm so displeased with the way you did that, you would just crush me. I'd be leveled. And the Lord convicted me of that sin because the Lord was not the Lord of my life. I was letting everybody else run me. When you seek to please God and God alone, guess what? People aren't going to like you. I don't like me sometimes. But when you follow God, you're going to be in conflict with those who don't want God. And that's going to happen in your life. So I decided, I repented that, and I would live that way, and I started risking it and living it. And uh, my world began to change in my life. But I had to be locked in a room with God alone to let him deal with that in my life and leave how people perceive me outside the door. Because all that really matters is how God uh, knows you and sees you. When God looks upon you, does he look about and say, uh, how old are you? Do you have hair? Do you dress nice? Does God worry about uh, what kind of car is in the driveway? Does he worry about whether you got lots of money or no money? Does he worry about whether you have a degree or an education? Does he worry about what you've done in the past? Is that what God looks at when you will lock yourself in a room with him? If you don't know, you haven't locked yourself in a room with God yet. When I locked myself in a room with God, I found out the scriptures are right. He looks upon the heart and not on outward appearance. He looks on what's on the inside. And I find out there is no secrets when you're alone with God. He knows everything about you and he makes it known to you. And David, a locked room in a room with God, would say, search me, O Lord, and know me. And even my inmost being, he said, uh, there are, my heart is so sinful, I don't even know myself. I'm, I even lie to myself and I believe my own lies. So show me who I am, Lord, and remove all of that from me. Create in me a clean heart. Do you know that verse? And take not thy spirit from me, he said. That's what happens when you're locked away with God. That's what David did many times. And that's where everything begins to change in his life. If you want to deal with hypocrisy, then don't listen to a hypocrite. There is only one person who was who he said he was, and that was Jesus Christ. He was the only non-hypocritical person to ever walk the face of the earth. So if I want a good advice with how to deal with my own hypocrisy, I don't go to a psychologist. I lock myself alone in a room with Jesus Christ. And he's ruthless. And he demands more of me than I will ever get from everybody else. All of you are so kind, you'll let me off the hook. I know that. But Jesus Christ does not. He searches me, he knows me, but he helps me to grow and to change. To listen to the only non-hypocritical person in the world is to listen to Jesus Christ and his word. And that's where everything begins to change. What we bring into the war room is our prayer 
and our faith and a listening spirit. And that's the beginning part of that, is to listen to God. You open the Bible and you say, Lord, speak to me. I'm here. I'm willing to hear. I'm removing all distractions. You just tell me what you want to tell me. You open up your Bible and you start reading. You start uh, underlining those key verses and sticking them up on the wall that God is speaking to you through. And you start listening to what God has said. You start writing down what he speaks to you. We call that a prayer journal. And you start listening to all that he is saying. In our uh, strategy for uh, working in this total war scenario is we're looking for listening posts where people are alone in their prayer closets and they're just praying to God and they're just listening to what God has to say. And I'm often surprised at what God has to say. He has amazing things to share with us if we would just take the time to actually listen to him. He has more to share with us than we could possibly know. And we want to hear what God is saying. Faith is believing in things not seen as if they were because of our trust in Father God. We often talk about this war room being a closet because there does, needs to be no windows to the outside world, nothing to distract you in there, where all you want to hear is the voice of God. And then God will start sharing with you things for which there's no evidence. Challenge you to believe in things that all the facts outside the door says are all wrong. Does he not? Faith in things not seen as if they were. I'm, gonna, I'm aware of this. I could go to any congregation uh, across Canada and there will always be someone. Is anyone here concerned about a loved one who is not saved and far from the kingdom of God? There always is. You ever feel powerless in that? I don't know what to do. But all of us was, were that person at one point in our life. Were we not? And yet we came to God. If I can come to God, anybody can come to God, right? I'm praying uh, for two guys uh, from Home Depot, actually more than that right now. They're on my prayer list. I go to my war room and I pray for them. I just uh, wrote one, uh, uh, Len. Oh, I want you to meet Len. I'm so looking forward to this day. When Len shows up, uh, Len uh, replied to my email. I said, Len, you owe me uh, coffee. He promised me a coffee when I left Home Depot. And he said, yep, you're right, buddy, I need to. And by the way, I still want to come to the church. And I sent him off the flyer and looked at it, and he said, oh, I want the cliff notes on that, because I'm not going to be able to understand it all. And he said, and Al wants to come. Oh, Al's a sweetie. He's a big, burly, grumpy old man. And they're both unsaved. They're both unsaved. And yet God's working on them. I remember talking to Len once. He was probably listening to this at one point, so sorry, Len, but here we go. He said uh, no one really presented the gospel to him. He even knew a good Baptist uh, couple who uh, went to church and everything else, but they kind of gave the impression that they thought Len was beyond reach because he was such a sinful man. Are there anybody that you think, oh, that person could never get saved? Just look at them. So wicked to the bone. But I'm praying for Lynn. I said, I don't think it's impossible. Lynn, I think you can still find God. And I remember being in the back repair room and we were just about one step away from him from receiving the Lord. And all he had to do was make the decision. I'm very open about that. I still think he can. I still think he will one day. 
I want you to meet Lynn. I want you to meet Al. I want you to meet a lot of people. But I want you to know how you gain that territory. You gain it in your war room, in that prayer closet, when you pray. Because you have authority. What you do is you pray for things beyond your reach. Is there anything beyond your reach that's too big for you to handle? Start listing those in your war room. Lord, I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do there. And this is so big, I can't do anything about it. And then you confess the scriptures in the war room. You say, but Lord, you're almighty. You can do it. I'm asking you to take charge of that. I can't do it, but I know you can. Now, why would we do that? And that's a very important principle that a lot of people uh, don't realize why prayer is so needed and so effective. God needs an invitation. There's a great founding principle, and it goes this way. You have a free will. It is a gift to God. Don't you agree? If you disagree with me, you're just proving you have free will. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's okay. I just make my point. So you got free will. You can do whatever you want, choose whatever you want. And God gave you that. And God will not violate the gift of free will. No matter how stupid we can get, God will not violate the principle of free will. In order to for God to have influence in your life, he has to be invited. You have to ask him. You've got to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and in your heart. He can't violate your free will and just make dumb people smart. He can't just fix evil people and make them holy again. He has to be asked. That's why you have to come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I want you to come into my life and change who I am. He's waiting to be asked. Scriptures say that you have not because you ask not. You have to ask. Well, he knows he's all-powerful. No, but he has to ask. Why does he have to be asked? Because he will not violate your free home. Think of yourself as a, a house, and you've got a door with a lock on it. And someone knocks at your door, you know, and it says, hello, and then you go and open your door. And there's a salesman there. What do you do with a salesman when they knock on your door? Shoom. <laughs> and the door stuck, you know, and they got the foot in the door and said, go away. But I'm trying to sell, mag I'm just trying to give away magazines. I'm not actually trying to sell anything. I'm just here to get some points. You know, they're selling you magazines. That's what they're doing. They, they will lie and do whatever they have to do to make the sale and to get an invitation into your life. That's what they're looking for is an invitation. Oh, my car broke down. Can I come in and borrow your phone? You know, on and on and on. There are a lot of ways that dangerous things come to your door, dangerous people knocking and asking to be invited into your life. Why? Because they can't come in unless you invite them. But if you invite dangerous people into your life, what happens? Dangerous things happen. And it's not just your house, it's your heart. If you entertain lies and deceptions into your life, they do great harm. And evil comes around saying, why don't you let me into your life? And how does it do it? And he's, he always begins from the outside in. He said to Adam and Eve, look how that fruit looks delicious. You should eat it. Wouldn't you love to have a bite out of that? And they said, well, but God said, don't do that. And he said, oh, did God really say that? Well, maybe he really didn't. Maybe it's okay. Maybe he's just jealous. And then the invitation was made. And that's how evil is invited into our life. 
It's been going on since Adam and Eve, and it's no different today. We invite it in, just like we invite Jesus Christ. Now, there are people you're praying for that are so far from God who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and don't even know to pray for themselves, and they need you to do the inviting for them. Um, It wasn't long ago I didn't even know about this congregation. Uh, Eight months ago, I didn't even know I would be leaving the Rogue Valley in Medford. I didn't know my wife had cancer and we'd be fighting that battle. Didn't know we'd be giving up our business, our church, and our family to come to Calgary to one of the worst winters I've ever experienced. (laughs) I didn't know any of that. I thought everything was just fine. But around the corner, all that comes hitting you, and there you are in the midst of that. I lost... A lot of stuff. I gave up a lot of stuff. Sandra and I are still looking around the house saying, where did this go? Is it gone? And it is. It's gone. A lot of this stuff is gone. We reduced our lives to a little thing and our territory decreased. We gave up a lot of our friends and people we knew and loved and family. And uh, now that I just learned that my daughter is pregnant with a girl, my first grand girl coming I just learned her name. It's little Miss Allie's on the way. I'm so excited, but she's way down there. They used to be like neighbors to us, and now they're far away. And my world shrank. And if my wife had died, I could just think how terrible that world would have shrunk with me. But I prayed and I prayed, and God met us with miracle after miracle, transformation after transformation, and our world started to grow again, and here it is. And it's all because I've been asked to be involved in people's lives. I was asked to work at Home Depot. I was asked by people to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was asked by you to come to this church. You will learn to regret that day. (laughs) You will. I was asked. And every time you're asked, the territory grows. When someone asks you to pray for them, You're given authority in their life. And you can ask God to work in someone's life when they don't even know about God. And you can watch what they do. When I got that email from Len today, I laughed out loud and people poked into the office and said, what's so funny? I laughed because I was joyful with what God can do with prayer. He speaks and he moves. He convicts. And he transforms lives. But he's looking for someone to enter a closet, a prayer room, a prayer warrior, to ask and to believe by faith and to ask God to be invited into someone's life. Hypocrisy is the belief that in things seen as if they really matter at all. Can you see how they differ from faith? Faith is a belief in things not seen as if they were. Hypocrisy is believing in only what I see really matters. Right? And so appearance is everything. Faith believes appearance is nothing. The reality is what I believe by faith and what I'm promised in Jesus Christ. The more I live in that realm, the less hypocrisy I need to be bothered with because it means nothing. What I see means nothing. What matters is what God says in my belief and trust in the, what the Lord is saying there. Well, let's move on. I could go on for hours on this, and I have. Uh, Let's not do that. 
Your faith in God will grow in your war room if you would set one up. Because when you're alone with God and leave hypocrisy at the door and it's just you and God being honest with one another, he starts working our hearts and changing you and your faith will grow because you will be challenged to believe what God says rather than in what you see. You need a war room. Our next scripture goes like this. But when you pray, when you go into that room, go into the inner room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Can you keep a secret? Of course not. (laughs) You're lousy. We're all lousy at secrets. I've been in church my entire life, and I've always known about a thing called a prayer chain. Ever hear of a prayer chain? Otherwise known in most places I've been as the gossip chain. Because that's how we talk about what everybody else is up to and share this secret. Now, I'm just sharing this in prayer, but I want to share this. But a prayer room... A private place, that prayer closet, that war room that you get into where it's just you and God needs to be a secret place where you keep secrets. The church uh, I have discovered, especially in North America, is really shallow for many reasons. Uh, One of the reasons that we're shallow is because we've adopted an idea from the culture that what we need to be is open and honest and not keep any secrets. I'm just transparent and I'm open and honest and you can know any, I'm going to tell you everything about me, know how embarrassing it might be. And actually that's a bad idea. I wouldn't recommend it at all. You need to be able to keep a secret. When you're in a war times, uh, they used to in the World War II, when my dad was in the Pacific, they would say, loose lips sink ships, right? You have to be able to keep a secret. And what this is about is God learning to trust you. God learning to trust you while you're learning to trust God. And that's where the power comes from. There are many things that God shares in the prayer room that is not for anyone else but you. There are people that you are praying for that you should never talk about to anybody else but to God. It should be a secret. And held there until the Lord says, you can share this now. But until he said so, it is just between you and God. There are people with spiritual depth. And you can tell it because they don't tell you everything. They hold back. They keep the secret things. Scriptures tells us that Jesus said... uh, Throwing pearls before swine, you ever hear that expression? Jesus would come along and he would share some of the most precious things that prophets and kings of the Old Testament would have given everything to hear. They were precious to hear the teachings and the wisdom, the power that he shared with them. And people heard that and thought, who bothered? We don't care. They treated it as if it was nothing. They weren't ready to hear it. And I find that if you press someone too much with the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're not ready to hear it, you actually harden their heart towards the gospel. Timing's everything with God. I mean, it absolutely is. And if you pray for them and allow God to work on their hearts and soften their hearts, he'll tell you now is the moment. This is the moment. But up till then, you might need to keep it secret. 
and keep it private. And I find that God will assess us. He will weigh us and figure out who we are as we're in there. First step to overcoming hypocrisy, keep a secret with God and don't share it with anyone. You ever have a great secret you just wish you could tell everybody? And God says, no. It takes strength and will to keep a secret. Most of us, most of what you will say and hear and declare in that room is not for anyone else. It's just for you and God. It is in that intimate and it's a sacred space that you will learn to trust God and God will trust you. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. In the war room, our lives are being weighed and assessed by God. Are you trustworthy enough that I could use you more in the kingdom of God? He finds a narcissistic person, a self-absorbed, preoccupied with himself person will often enter a war room. But what he's looking for is a child of God after his own heart to be the one that leaves that room. I often go into prayer with a long list of, oh God, my life, I need this and I need this and aren't you aware that this is wrong and then if you could fix this person because they really bug me. And that's the way my prayers often start. And that's a narcissistic prayer based on my needs. This is what I'm bringing to the Lord because Lord, my needs come first. That's a self-absorbed prayer. But by the time I leave a war room, it's like, well, gee, my stuff is petty compared to what God is dealing with. And what I want is God's will in my life and in all those other people's lives and to do amazing things. He wants a warrior to leave the room, even though we might be self-absorbed when we enter that room. Eventually, when God trusts you, he will share with secrets with you about people you intercede for, to help you pray with targeted precision. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, 25, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he worships God and reports that God is truly among you. Paul refers to prophecy in this point about knowing what is going on in someone's life without them telling you. And God can reveal to you secrets about the people you're praying for, if you can keep a secret. My um, dear friend that I pastored with for 22 years, who um, last year died of cancer, uh, she labored with me and was a great prayer warrior herself. And I introduced this idea to her in, in what we call a prayer journal. And uh, I'm just going to give it to this real quick to show you how it works. So she would sit down, and she was concerned about family. And uh, she didn't know how to pray or to gain territory in their family's life. And so I showed her a method with a prayer journal. So I want you to sit down, and at the top of the journal, I want you to write what your concern is and get it down on paper. Lord, I'm worried about this family, and they're not right with the Lord, and they aren't going to church, and they aren't being faithful. Okay, then after you've done writing that, and you've got that out before the Lord has written prayer, I want you to stop, and I want you to listen. And we call this in writing stream of consciousness. And I just want you to write the first thoughts that come through your mind. Don't edit. Don't correct. Don't ask if it's right or wrong. Just write it down. Just let it happen. And you just write. And let God write through it. And uh, Moses called it the pen of God. The finger of God. 
And my Hebrew scholar in college told me that could also be translated as the pen of God. So you just write. You just let it flow, and then after you've written everything, all the thoughts are passing through your head, sit and then reread it, look at it, and then ask yourself, is this God speaking? Is it me being messed up, or is it some other? But where is this coming from? And the way you check it is by the Word of God. So she did that, and then she would say, see that God was speaking to her very clearly. Now, you see, I know this. Most of you know that God is speaking to you. Most of you know, if you would tell me what God is speaking to you, you could tell me what God is trying to tell you. And most of you don't want to tell me because you don't want to hear what God is speaking to you. <laughs> because it isn't something you're, you really want to deal with or comfortable with. We want God to say always nice things and always be polite and make us feel good because we're narcissists. But when God speaks... It's usually not in agreement with me. How do I know it was God speaking? Because often God disagrees with me. I don't know if you know this, but often God disagrees with me. And I have to learn to give to his will. Jesus knew that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed in the garden. He said, uh, I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, your will be done and not my will. And God said, yeah, I still want you to die on the cross. And he did that three times. Are you sure you want me to die on the cross and the sins of the world upon me. And he said, yeah, I still want you to do that. Okay, I'll do that, but I really want you to be sure that, that there's no other way. If Jesus did that, why wouldn't you in your prayer room? Are you better than him? I have arguments with God like that all the time with the Lord. And that's how I know it's God speaking. I said, yes, the Lord says, that's what I want. Okay, Lord. I don't know if I want that, but okay, if that's what you want. And then I taught her to do this. And then you say, when you pray for someone, you say, Lord, what is it today that I need to pray for this person? To this day, in this hour, at this moment, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're up to. Lord, what is it you want me to pray right now? And then you stop, you listen, and you let the pen of God write, and you hear what God says, and you record that secret thing. And God will direct your prayers. He said, well, right, John, right now, what I want you to pray for this person is this. And then you journal that and you write it down. And then you say, okay, Lord, I'll ask for that. The scripture says, the Lord searches land for someone to stand in the gap, to build the wall and to stand in the gap before him, that he might not bring destruction on the land. He's looking for you to listen to him. I'm learning that if I learn to ask what God asked me to ask for, I'm much more strategic. And I can say that same prayer the very next day, and the reply I'll get from God is, yeah, that's a good prayer for yesterday, but today we've got a whole new set of issues I want you to pray about. Because it's not a static situation. Whoever you're praying about is in a dynamic situation. Would you agree with that? How are you going to stay up on that unless God tells you what that is? Because he's the only one who really knows what's going on, right? So you follow what God says, now direct your prayers this way. Start asking for this, and then ask for that, and then for ask for this. And without even this person knowing for it, you can cover them in prayer and strategically in a powerful way. And I said to her, keep that as a journal. And someday, after you've passed away, which she has, your family will find that journal. They'll see those prayers dated. And they will see, I was going through that on that day when she prayed. How did she know to pray for that? Because you had a journal in a secret place where you prayed for them. After she began to do that, she saw a remarkable change happen in her family. 
amazing things began to happen. They were all drawn much closer to God. If you can keep a secret with God, he will share secret things with you. And he will direct your prayers in a strategic way that you never dreamed possible. It's important that we learn to do these things. And finally, when you pray, do not babel, right? Online pagans, for they think that by their many words they will be heard. War rooms is not about volume. It's about targeted, specific prayers and taking on the enemy in all that we can do. A war room is where we battle evil with faith-filled prayers. I advertised that we were doing this series on the Internet, on Facebook. It was interesting, some of the replies we got. You can go on uh, Facebook and see what they are, but uh, one said, what is this? Hate speech? You know, as if, uh, you know, I said that Christians are under attack, we're at war, and it's going to be a total war, and he thought that maybe it was some sort of hate speech. And then I quoted Ephesians, for our struggles not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of the air. And then someone in the United States, a friend of his, uh, read that and said, what is this principalities and this darkness you speak of? She said, I've been a Christian for quite some time. I've never read anything like that. And she, I just quoted the scripture where it, it was there in Ephesians. And she didn't realize that was scripture. From the, there are a lot of Christians who think everything is puppy dogs and rainbows and unicorns. And there is nothing wrong in this world. But there is a battle to be fought. There is evil in this world. And it's not fought with guns. It's not fought with political campaigns. It's not fought through cultural reform. It's fought in the war room by prayer. It's the only way it can be fought. You can go from Genesis to Revelation. Any great move of the Spirit and of the church and its victory began with prayer followed by obedience to what God speaks and doing it. And then the victory follows. And sometimes God will have you do things that make no sense to you. Can you imagine being a general of an army and said, uh, let's put our shields and swords away and grab torches and jars. We'll win with that. Can you imagine? Or Moses said, uh, you've done enough. Stand back and watch the hand of God deliver you. I'll just do it. A war room is where we battle evil. It begins by setting ourselves aside and believing by faith and facing evil. There is no place to babble in a war room, to utter words without meeting, to talk idly to God, irrationally, excessively, or foolishly like most people do in social media nowadays. The church is full of weak and useless prayers. This is largely to the fact that we refuse to believe that there is a real enemy that is seeking to destroy the church and the kingdom of God. I'll give you an example of a classic useless prayer. Oh God, please, please, please help me. What can I do to convince you to help me? Well, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that God is already on your side. He's already helping. So you're requesting something you already have a lot of. You don't need to plead for God for something you did. Um, I was amazed. I, I, I met a, a gal in one of my churches and 
I, asked, I was asking her salvation story, and she was saying to me, I don't know if I'm saved. I said, well, have you ever asked the Lord Jesus in your heart? He says, yes, I have, but I don't know if I'm saved. And I was a little confused by that. So, well, tell me the story. How, how, when did you first do it? And she said, well, I, I've been to many services. I'd go to the front of the church, the prayer altar, I, and I would ask Jesus. I would plead with him to come in a heart and wash away my sins. But I never really felt like he did. And I keep asking, I keep asking, and I keep asking. I said, well, have you ever accepted? She said, what do you mean? I said, instead of asking, why don't you say, Lord, I receive you into my heart, rather than asking him to come into your heart. Why don't you accept him and then praise him for it? Really? Yeah, let's try it. So we prayed. I said, Lord, uh, I'm not asking anymore. I, you, in your word, you said that if I would repent and confess that you would come into my heart and wash me clean. So, Lord, I receive you now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I claim salvation in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. I had her say all those things, and guess what? She didn't doubt her salvation after that. She went beyond the weak prayer of pleading for God for something God has already promised. We plead for things all the time that are already yours. You don't need to ask anymore. They're already yours. How do you avoid those kind of weak pleading prayers? You've got to know what the Word says, what is already promised, what is already given. There are swords and weapons and all kinds of things, shields and helmets lying all over the place, just ready for you to pick them up and to use them for the kingdom of God. Just don't sit around and say, could you send another load of equipment down? <laughs> You've got all that you need. It's all right there in the Word of God. And all you have to do is pick them up. And then when we realize they're an enemy, that my problem is not convincing God. My problem is taking authority over evil. I need to stand against them. How do I do that? And if you ever have a two-year-old in your house, If you have a two-year-old running around your house and terrorizing the place, do you say, oh, God, won't you do something about this two-year-old? Lord, are you not mighty enough to do something about this two-year-old? That two-year-old is just going to wreck your life, right? So what do you do? You have to take authority over that two-year-old and say, you will do this. And you will not do that. You ever hear a child say, who made you the boss of me? <laughs> I am the boss of you. And we'll quickly find that out. There are some households where one parent is left and there's no problem. And as soon as the other parent arrives home, there's a problem, right? Because one operates in authority and one does not. There is evil in this world. There's a great famous saying in the church. It's been around for a long time. There is only one organization in all the world that can ever deal with evil at its source, the real spiritual evil in this world. It's not politics. It's not anything else. It's the church because it's the only one that has the authority to do so. So if evil grows in this world, you know who's responsible for that? The ones who didn't take authority over it. You can't blame anybody else. A prayer room is where you go in and you know the Word of God, you know what to pray and, how, and know what God has promised you. To claim that and to declare it 
and then use that as authority over the evil of this world. And you can do that. And if you would do that, everything will begin to change your life. Can you see now why you need a prayer room? You need a secret place, a war room, where you pray strategically for those things that uh, people are desperate in your life. You don't waste time pleading with God with something he has already promised. Instead, you believe and trust his word, you declare it to yourself and to the heavens, and then you take authority given to you in Jesus Christ over hell and demonic hosts over it all. Resist and command the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ, and he will flee from you, and you will see great things happen. James 4, 2 through 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you've got to receive it, because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures rather than advance the kingdom of God. I've learned a secret to the power of prayer, and there are many more I want to learn, but one secret I learned that God will allow me to share is this, is that if you pray after God's own heart, God is more than willing to do it because he's already on board with that. What does God want? He wants the kingdom of God to expand. And if my prayers go towards inviting him to do that very thing and specifically in people's lives. He's more than eager to do that, and he will do that. If it's not for my pleasure, but for the advancing of the kingdom of God, that's when all the power comes into your life. And then it says in Matthew 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done in heaven by my Father in heaven. Now, there are aspects to this that I really want to get close to the end here. I'm going to let you go in just a minute. But as you set up your own private war rooms, your closets, where you and alone are locked away with God and you're praying, you keep a journal of what God is speaking, you go to the Lord, you keep his secrets. But you may get a message at that place that God wants you to share with the church as a whole. We're going to set up a war room right here in this building. And it's going to be a centralized headquarters. And we want to hear from listening posts what God is saying. And if he says, share that with the church, we'll send it into our room and we'll put it up on our walls and we will hear what God is saying. And if God is saying one thing to one person over here in secret and another thing to another person in secret and another person over here in secret, and we find God is saying the very same thing from everybody, when we have confirmation that God is speaking to us. And he's asking us to do something. And he can lead us directly. And when we agree in prayer and those things, can God do amazing things? If you agree, if you agree about anything, especially what God is asking for, he will do it. Do you believe that? We'll be united in that. We pray for those who don't know how to pray. We ask for those who don't have faith to ask. We take authority over evil for those who are blind to his existence. And we pray all kinds of prayers to suit the battle and to suit the moment that people are going through. We pray for each other and cover each other in prayer. Who here wouldn't need that in your life? Anybody? Who here wouldn't want that? I want that more than anything. The battle's already here. It's already begun. We're in it now. People are already fighting in their war rooms and setting them up. 
I got, I just moved into a condo. I'm setting mine up. I got to go and finish setting up Sandra's. It's also called a craft room, but it's going to be her war room. And and we want, and it's literally a closet. So she's, <laughs> she can go in there, shut the door. I go in and shut my door and we do this. And you can too. You can find this space. You might need to get creative, especially if you've got little kids, but you can do this. Now I want to challenge you to join us in this. Lives will be won and lost by what we do next for the glory of the Lord. Would you stand with me? I want to close with a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you for this great lesson, and it's a little heavy, but uh, we know that you are stirring and you're speaking. It isn't just because Pastor John up there is speaking, but that you're speaking to our hearts. The scriptures are clear. You're calling us to prayer. We know, and we've known for many a long time, that we should do more. We should have oughta, woulda, coulda. We pray that we just shed all that stuff and just do it. Just enter into that private, intimate space, believing in faith that you're actually going to meet us there, that you're going to actually speak to us, you're going to actually hear our prayers, and you're going to do great and mighty things. And we will know in that secret place the secrets of God. And as, Lord, as we become the front line in the kingdom of God, that we will see your hand move and see what you can do and want to do in the future. Lord, I pray for your hand and your protection on these. Uh, Dear loved ones, that the enemy would not discourage them and dissuade them from this, the most critical of all tasks, that they might enter into this battle with prayer, with the weapons of the kingdom of God, and that they will keep listening to this series and keep learning that they might be fully equipped, a workman who is not ashamed, a warrior who defeats the enemies on their knees. And Lord, uh, may your protection be on them. May you guide them and provide all their need to make this all happen. I just pray this in your holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. And God bless you and go with you this week.